ultimate uh, slap in the face on this was as I am leaving this city in Texas, I'm on the airplane and I turn down the runway and I see, let's just call it the hangar that belonged to this family <laughs> right there on the runway. And it was just the last slap in the face of man. That is uh, not the way to go about doing our work. Um, Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Did you know that, according to research, only about one-third of the prospects fundraisers like you get thrown on their caseloads are truly qualified, and even fewer are actually ready for your outreach? Think about that. If you're like most, two-thirds of the leads you've been getting are not really qualified to be on your list. Sure, they might have given in the past, and their wealth screen ratings might be high, but if they won't accept your outreach, what good is all that research anyway, right? It's a serious problem, but there is a solution. And you can find it in Greg Warner's book titled Engagement Fundraising, which you can get right now at no cost whatsoever at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's right. You can learn how hundreds of organizations and thousands of fundraisers are succeeding in today's era of fundraising climate change by grabbing your free digital copy or audiobook version of Greg's very popular book today. Get it now. 100% free. Engagement fundraising at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Visit Away. Uh, as always, we have a great episode for you this week. And uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, as I always ask, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show grow. Uh, just this last week, we got a great review from Miles Harper. Thank you so much for that, Miles, and uh, I think we're going to get some more coming in real soon, so thanks so much for that. Please keep them coming. And this week, we have a phenomenal guest, Mike Hoffman. He and I uh, got to know each other through LinkedIn, like I do with most of my guests, and uh, wound up having a great conversation. So here is Mike's bio. Mike Hoffman joined the U.S. Naval Academy Foundation as a major gifts officer in March of 2013, and since then has taken on various roles within the development team. During his tenure, Mike has worked on soliciting and closing numerous six, seven, and eight-figure gifts, as well as managing top volunteers on the foundation's board of directors. Currently, Mike serves as the director of development, responsible for overseeing a staff of five regional directors of development and the development coordinator. Each regional director of development at the foundation manages a set of territories and is focused on closing six- and seven-figure gifts. Prior to joining the foundation, Mike has worked at several higher ed institutions and independent schools, including most recently in the Central Development Office at Johns Hopkins University. Mike graduated from Loyola University, Maryland with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. He lives in Annapolis with his wife and three young children. I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Mike Hoffman. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Mike. Thanks for being here. Uh, great to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so if you could tell everybody just uh, a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, so I am uh, based in Annapolis, Maryland. I uh, work for the United States Naval Academy Foundation. Um, I've been here since uh, 2013, so coming up on uh, eight years this month, actually, Wow. Um, so a pretty good run here. Uh, I've been doing major gift fundraising since 2008-ish. I was at Hopkins before I came here, and I've been in uh, education slash higher ed since way back in, in since 2003. So coming up on, on 20 years in the in the field itself. So uh, love doing what I do, love being here. Uh, we've got a great community, great institution that we support. Um, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's definitely, uh, definitely unique, as, as we'll probably talk about today. Yeah. So how do you how do you wind up at the Naval Academy? Do you have some connection to the military or was it just a random thing? None whatsoever. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. We, we, we've got some. My dad was in the Navy uh, for a short stint back in, in the 60s. My grandfather was in the Navy, but I don't pretend that I had some 
original higher calling to come work at the Naval Academy. Um, I approached it like any higher ed development job, like it was uh, an opportunity that came up. It sounded interesting. I knew somebody that was currently on the staff and was able to pick her brain about it. Um, they were starting a campaign. So it had all the makings of uh, the things I was looking for in terms of kind of going from what I was doing at Hopkins in the, in the central, in the central fundraising capacity there. And, um, being a part of a smaller shop with a, uh, I'd say just as reputable brand as a place like Hopkins, um, perhaps more so, uh, well, Hopkins post COVID has become unfortunately too famous for all the reporting they had to do on COVID, but, uh, uh, it's, it's definitely, um, going back to Navy, definitely a, a, um, a big mission and a big, uh, well-known institution, but the way we operate is is really unique just in the sort of public-private partnership that we have. At the end of the day, we're an institutionally related foundation, so similar to state schools and things like that, but um, lots of other uh, uh, rules of the road dealing with the military, dealing with the federal government that we navigate around. But it presents opportunities as well. Yeah, for sure. And so it it strikes me that you've, you've been there for eight years or about eight years now, which is abnormal in the uh the fundraising world um and so so but i'm curious uh do you do you think that has anything to do with i think which is going to be one of the themes today but sort of the maybe this theme of legacy or camaraderie that's associated with the naval academy and i would imagine there's like once people attend the naval academy they're kind of associated with it for life i would imagine in a bigger way than some other places and does does that i'm just totally spitballing here but does that does that relate over to maybe longer term career runs for development professionals working there so on the latter point we don't have enough data on our staff to to really recognize it we've only been fundraising for about 20 years uh we, we started in 1999 with sort of a reorganization of the alumni association and some other programs here. So we don't have, you know, 30, 40 years of data to look at, at tenure of development officers, but back to your, your first point, um, you'd think uh, that there would be a, uh, well, let me, let me start with, absolutely. There is a, a stronger connection I would argue between any service Academy graduate and their alma mater because of the level of commitment that it takes to attend and obviously the service commitment afterwards. Um, and I think that is something in, ingrained in folks probably before they even apply and it carries through their, their sort of you know, post-graduation alumni career. Um, it doesn't necessarily translate to, to, to giving. You know, our, our participation rates and things like that are, are pretty much on par with peers. So, um, it, it, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can probably analyze that. Um, you know, we're new at this. There's the education piece, just like any other school. You've got to ask, well, why do you need to raise money? Um, you know, does a state support it? In our case, doesn't the federal government support it? And the answer is just no. Um, so we've, we, uh, we aren't that different at the end of the day when it comes to um, dealing with our donor base. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I'll, I'll give everybody a little bit of insight. The way you and I got connected is... Uh, I posted something on LinkedIn and everything I post on LinkedIn for the most part is uh, a little bit, what's the word? I don't know. I'm trying to make it a little, little spicy um, just to, to get, get people to, to take a look. And so I think what I posted was something along the lines of, I can learn enough about any organization in five minutes to go on a successful major gift visit. It was like mm-hmm. something like that with yeah. some some stuff following up and you and I could, and so you had a bit of a disagreement with that or like some, you know, different look at it. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit because I think it'll just be good for everybody to, to hear this kind of thing. But most of, and I would imagine we're probably going to wind up mostly agreeing on this, but my main, the reason I made that post uh, is because I see this so frequently. I've seen it organizations that I've worked for, uh, clients of mine doing consulting work and just observing the the major gift world. What I see is the biggest obstacle. The thing that's leading to people's failure more than anything else is there's just always something else that they see as more urgent than actually going on a visit. So like I, I, I've seen <laughs> major gift fundraising professionals 
who's it's literally their only job is to go on visits with people and ask them for gifts. And they'll go on like two visits over a four month period of time. And it's just like, like, what the heck are you doing? And sometimes they'll come back with something like, well, you know, I'm, I'm working on the plan. We got to get the, we got to get the case for support all, all polished up. And, and my point is none of that matters if you're not actually in front of people. And so, so I'm always trying to get people to go on more visits. That was kind of my point. Give everybody your take of the, the matter. And if, if you think I gave a, a fair summary of, of what I was trying to get across. No, I, I think you nailed it. And I think you're right. I mean, I think, uh, you, you know, you can't do this job if you're not in front of people. We talk about this a lot. And some, one of the things that we've learned over the past year when we haven't been able to physically get in front of people is, is this idea of consistency is the most important thing. And, and whether it's consistently in front of them in person, which is always obviously preferred or consistently in front of them virtually or consistently in their inbox, if all else fails, some sort of consistency is all that matters. Going back to the preferred method, seeing people is, is obviously what we want to do. I think, you know, where I, um, I, uh, chimed in on LinkedIn was, um, how quickly you send out new staff to meet with donors and prospective donors. And I, and I argue that, uh, you know, there's, you can do some harm if you send people out too quickly, if they don't know the story of the organization and they, and they don't develop some sort of um, uh, passion for it. it, You know, there's certain, uh, you know, things that exclude that if somebody is already really passionate about the, cause at hand. Yeah. By all means, like get them out the door. You know, we look at this, um, any new staff basically in a, as a six month onboarding process. And, um, and we kind of break it up into two month chunks. We take two months and look at, uh, getting to know internally the organization, getting to know, you know, so our processes, um, how we, our culture, how we do things that two months is also getting to know the Naval Academy and, Normal times, we're sending people into uh, into classrooms, into lectures, into all those things because um, we want people to understand exactly what they're raising money for. Um, which you know, even if you are a grad coming back to work here, you, you don't know what it's like in 2020 or 2021. I mean, you may have graduated even even if you graduated five years ago, it's a different naval academy than it was. So it's to start to develop the story. So. Not only can you answer questions, um, which is probably the, the lesser important thing, because I think your point in the post was, well, you can always go back and find answers to questions. Totally agree with that. I think it's more so because people are going to read whether or not you're excited about what you're here to do. And so kind of going back to the six months, we take two months to start that process. Um, then we take two months where, you know, ideally every meeting is done with another member of our team and, and you're kind of in a shadow rule. And then we flip it the last two months where you're being shadowed by somebody else in your team. Now it's not hundred percent of every meeting you do. There's going to be extenuating circumstances, but we think that six months really sets people up for success. And um, I think I use the term not getting eaten alive on, on LinkedIn, but you know uh, we, when we weren't doing things this way, somebody would sit down with a grad and say, and say well, did you go here? You know, I think it's a common question that higher ed gets or any independent school gets too. And when the answer is no, there's this like <laughs> shutdown of, of, of the alarm or the, uh, yeah, the I don't believe in the military, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and yeah, well, you, you, you yeah. Um, so, yeah, so shutdown and you kind of have to be ready to, to say, listen to what I've experienced over getting to know this place. I still have a lot to learn. So it's, it's that type of, um, uh, you know, passion and, and experience that we're trying to, to bring. We are trying to bring Annapolis to an individual anywhere where they are in the country. And you can't do that without spending some time here. So that's, that's probably the root of where I, I wanted to chime in is just like, let's take a minute and let people get to know and get excited about what they're doing. Now we're going to have a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. So when it comes to investing in my own business, I'm a bit of a cheapskate, but I've made one significant financial investment in my consulting business over the last two years. 
You've heard me mention it every episode since January 1st. My website. Every speck of my One Visit Away branding, my website, and everything you see visually from me was created by Jacob Laskowski with 86 Creative. Jacob made it so easy to hire him because he made it very clear to me from early on that he was there to serve me, to help me, and he helped me a number of times with branding and strategy even before I paid him anything. So by the time I was ready to establish my brand and elevate the work I was doing, I knew Jacob was the person to hire. Jacob and his team at 86 do incredible work creating brands for nonprofits. And if you want to elevate your mission, I cannot recommend them enough. Your brand is the first thing prospective benefactors are going to interact with when they encounter your organization. So don't make it look like some high school kid from back in the 90s designed your website for you. When you present a professional, clear brand and message, you set yourself up to look like the type of organization someone would invest a million dollars into. Check out his website at elevateyourmission.com and see the work that has led people like me to trust him with building a strong brand. And now back to the episode. Yeah, and so I think that's I think that's a really important point and I think something that's pretty different about what you're doing, like the organization you're working for versus most of the organizations I work with. So like most of the organizations I work with are tiny. Like they're, you know, like uh, it's either one major gift officer or the executive director or founder is doing all the major gift work. And so, so I, I think the challenge for people working at really small organizations is that they can say, oh, I'm going to take six months to learn everything and then I'm going to flip that switch and start going on visits, but they don't they don't actually do it. And so so the the thing about, you know, what you guys are doing is you you have a system and a process in place that is adhered to and is like like you control this is what happens and we're telling our new people this is the process and this is how you ease into it kind of thing. And so I think I think that makes total sense and I think the problem for most people is that they just keep telling themselves, I'm going to flip that switch at this point. And then that point comes or that point keeps getting delayed because whatever, you know, thing. And then they just a year has passed and they've gone on five visits and they haven't asked anyone for a gift and no money's coming in. And they're like, I, I just don't know what's happening. I'm I'm working hard. Uh so yeah, I think I, I think those are I think they're all great points and you've got some stories to share that uh I think have like tie into this a little bit. So if you if you could uh go well, ahead and real quick, I wanna you made a great point there and I wanna yeah, please. uh the, the idea of having the plan going in. Um, you know, this is a uh a, a process that we've figured out um you know, through some trials and tribulations. And, but I think the most important thing is whether you're planning six months or six days is to take a minute to really understand what, what the organization is and understand the, the needs. Um, there's a, there's a great story in the, I don't know if your listeners are, are fans of Simon Sinek, but there's a great story in the book, uh, leaders eat last where he actually does a, a study of, um, I think it's higher ed, uh, like a higher ed call calling program. And the, the fundraising folks on the phone that had actually met with scholarship recipients raised money at like a 170% of what they did prior to meeting the scholarship recipients and they actually stayed in the job longer as well. And so I think if we can take that example and, and it's, I think in the study, they even use five minutes. So your point of five minutes, maybe we are actually more in agreement here than we thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the, the premise of that, it's to understand exactly what you're, you're raising money for and understand the stories and really connect with it before you get on the road, I think is, is, is the same, whether it's six months or we'll go with five minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so that's so good. And, and I think the reason I, I'm pretty sure the thing that prompted me to make that post is I was on the, um, I was having a meeting with one of my clients that I've that I was onboarding, and she was like totally new to development, new at her role in this organization, and she was struggling with like, well, I don't, 
like I don't I feel like I don't know enough to go on a successful visit. And I was like, look, I'm going to show you right now. Like this is what the visit looks like. And then I just showed her and and I know very little about the organization. Um at least, you know, I don't have some super deep inside look, but what it what it came down to and what I was sharing with her is like, you know, it's first and foremost the visit, most of the visit is going to be spent on the benefactor and understanding them and asking good questions. But then the primary thing, which you've hit on so many times is, is passion. And so, so when we can see, look, like I don't, I don't need a, a 30 page strategic plan to tell someone why a gift matters. If, like we said, I've spent five minutes with someone whose life has been changed because of that organization. So like if I can spend five minutes with that person and understand this is how this organization changed my life, saved my life. If I can take that story and that passion. And I mean, at the end of the day, this is an oversimplification, but it's just like, look, Bob, I understand based off the stuff I've asked you, what's important to you, the type of change you want to make in the world. This is what this organization is accomplishing with your your giving look at this story of this you know woman who graduated from the naval academy uh who was a single mom whatever and and look at the trajectory of her life now and all she's accomplished we want more of that to happen and so i'm asking you to consider a gift of a hundred thousand dollars to the naval academy that's obviously that's an oversimplification but but at the end of the day, it's it's that passion and those real stories of change that are, for most people, much more important. Like, if they hear that story, they're going to decide, I'm given this gift. They might need the justification through that report later on, but we can get that at another time. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, I, I think we're mostly on the same page here, but... People, people just need a they they need to schedule more visits, and I I am certain based off of what you've uh, what you've shared so far that uh, going on visits and doing the actions that lead to success are a big part of y'all's uh, of of how you're measured at the Naval Academy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it is uh, you know the w- once that. And I realize we're in a, in a luxury to have this six months and, and, but once that six months is up and people are kind of on their own, obviously that's when kind of, you know, there's still a transition period. You're not, a, we've got some managed expectations in somebody's first year or so, but you're, you're kind of on the same playing field as people that have been here for five years. You know, it's, yeah. it's time to go see people. And when you're not seeing people and you're back here, um, you know, the, the idea is, absorb all that you can so you can get back on the road and, and share more stories. It's a constant process. And so I think your point of one story is a great one that that's sometimes all it takes to get you started. And mm-hmm. the one thing I think going into really any meeting, but particularly when, when you're starting out is, you know, if you can set the proper expectations, like, Hey, I'm coming to see you. Um, I'm new. I am still learning, but I can't wait to hear your story. I, I can, I, I, um, I've got a few that I've absorbed here in the first few weeks, but, um, I'm, I'm really coming to listen to you. Um, that changes the whole perspective of, from the donor, I, I, I would think. And, and, uh, but again, it, it's, you know, one story or five minutes, whatever it takes, as long as there's something that you can draw back on that, that, you know, you're not walking in blind, like, well, I don't know anything, but I'm here to listen to you. You know, I think that's yeah. where I, I um, have done those myself, um, you know, going back, not, not here, but, um, you know, when I was at starting at Hopkins, we, we were in a central fundraising role and we were required to know a little bit about a lot. And that was really hard work. So I remember when I started, uh, uh, you know, just being told, get out on the road. That was, those are tough. Those are tough conversations. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the thing that <clears throat> another thing that's, different about the Naval Academy or any university um, versus like, you know, if if you're talking about the, the local food pantry, like most of the people you go visit with, even if, even if you've got, you know, been to the food pantry once as a fundraiser, you have an infinite more, you have in a level of knowledge that's 
you know, supremely greater than the benefactor or prospect you're visiting with. But when you when you're a major gift officer at the Naval Academy and you didn't go there and you've been there for one month, the person you're meeting with <laughs> who attended the Naval Academy and all four of his sons attended and, you know, that like he has so much more knowledge than you do. So I, I can see that being, you know, much more intimidating and and requ- like you've got to at least have a certain level of of knowledge to be able to speak the same language and just not look like a total idiot kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And, and you don't want to look like an idiot, but you also want to establish trust. That's the most important thing in these first meetings. And so if if you can come in and and establish trust either with your knowledge or lack of knowledge, I think that that sets the tone for the rest of the relationship. And if you, you know, we've seen it where that, that trust isn't established and it's hard to recover from that. Um, you, you Sometimes you only get one shot, particularly with somebody that is, you know, not necessarily um, your, your best donor in terms of engagement or something like that. I mean, you, you've got to have trust from, from the get go. So we talk a lot about that as you start. Yeah. So, so if you could just jump right in with, with one of your stories that you'd like to share. So I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I'd bring up a Texas one from my Hopkins days for you, uh, sitting there in Texas. Um, you know, I think this is, this goes back to this idea of expectation that we just talked about. I, I, uh, went on a, essentially a discovery meeting with, uh, uh, prospects. I don't want to reveal too much here. Um, where their affinity was, but, you know, it was, uh, it was to this day in my 13 plus years of major gift fundraising, the most interesting meeting I've ever had, um, from the storytelling from the donor, but it was just one of those things where you were the, the expectations on both ends were just, um, not communicated clearly in the setup. So that's ultimately, that's my fault in this situation. But, you know, I remember sitting down for breakfast with, these, uh, individuals and, you know, I'm excited. They had had some history of giving, they had had a pretty high rating, not nearly as high as the rating that I would find out that they were deserving of. They were ended up long story short, they ended up being on, you know, the, the billionaire list with, uh, Forbes or, or, or whatever, but didn't quite know that after the fact. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting down for breakfast. I'm really excited. I'm all, I'm all pumped up for this meeting and, and they go, well, so are you here for admissions? Are you here for, you know, recruiting? What's the purpose? And I was like, Oh God, this isn't going well. <laughs> and I think I'm know, here for bacon. Okay? <laughs> I heard this place has uh, the best. Um, so it's just one of those uh, stories that lives with me of, you know, being crystal clear in, in what you do, not necessarily to the tune of how much threshold dollar amount that you're getting into, but you're here as a, development professional and, and you want to set up a meeting to talk about their support of the institution. And man, did I miss the mark on that one? Um, that ultimately never resulted in, in a whole lot of giving after that, uh, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I also, you know, clearly could have done a little bit more homework. Um, the, the ultimate, uh, slap in the face on this was as I am leaving this city in Texas, I'm on, the airplane and I turn down the runway and I see, let's just call it the hangar that belonged to this family <laughs> right there <laughs> on the runway. And it was just the last slap in the face of man. That is uh, not the way to go about doing our work. Um, <laughs> and I'm a little bit unprepared, not being very clear in set up for the conversation. Um, but I, I, I also took away from it that I was just, as I mentioned, it's still one of the most interesting visits I've ever had. Um, I'm still enamored with the storytelling of, of one of the individuals at the table. They just uh, they had a very interesting life. Um, I could just never translate that into something, something more meaningful. So I call that one, the one that got away. Um, you know, did one you, of those- yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Did, so you said you didn't know at the time their true financial capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever, I would imagine now Johns Hopkins. I imagine there are, a plethora of people who have seven or eight figure giving capacity associated mm-hmm. with the organization. But would it, I, I guess my question is at what point would someone uh, like possibly the 
leader of the university wind up joining a visit with you to go see someone like that? So that's a great question. And I, and I'll be honest, I, I, I have no idea, um, you know, what that looks like in, in 2021. Um, yeah. and, and I'll be honest, going back to 2008 or whenever this was, you know, in our, our office, we were, um, you know, we weren't doing those, those types of conversations with seven and eight figure prospects. And so I, I, I don't have a, a, a quite a roadmap for how that worked, but, you know, you're certainly dealing, you know, every, every giving level is, is, uh, is uh, unique to an organization. And, and there it was certainly pretty high that somebody, you know, in the, you know, leadership capacity would get involved. I imagine, um, you know, you're, you're looking at eight figures to get involved there, but again, I'm speculating. So yeah, yeah, we sure. didn't, I wasn't ready for that plan, obviously with, with this one or else I would have brought somebody or at least invited somebody else to, uh, to join me. And, and just to clarify point, I think we, we saw the, it was like the next Forbes list they came out at or something like that. So it yeah, wasn't, yeah. I was that negligent in my research, but um, yeah. <laughs> it was still one of those things like, oh man, that just, that just hurts. But Oh man, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. So you've got, uh, you've got another one here, the about inspiring self soliciting donors. Yeah. So I think this goes to, um, you know, kind of what we started off talking about and, um, you know, this one is a, is a current example from the Naval Academy. So I, I, you know, this was early in my tenure here. And I think this just goes back to the idea of having some stories and some experience in your arsenal to, to share with people. And I think we've, you know, in this particular the meeting, um, the the donor wasn't necessarily interested in talking a lot about themselves. And I think we've all encountered that. And that's where you kind of have to go on this, like um, the offensive mode in terms of being the talker. And and those are some, I think the hardest conversations where you're, yeah. nobody's giving you anything back and you're just like, all right, what am, what's my next question? What story I'm going to tell? And so this was, this was, like I said, this was early in, in, in my start here. And, a big part of our campaign that we're wrapping up here has been um, the growth of the Center for Cybersecurity Studies at the Naval Academy. So the Navy and the military in general, big focus on, on cyber, cyber warfare. This, this was uh, really uh, an attractive uh, funding opportunity for a lot of donors back in, in the beginning days of our campaign in 2013, 2014. And we get this question all the time. I think every organization gets this all, all the time. The donor said, well, tell me what's going on at the Naval Academy. And you could go <laughs> anywhere you want to go. And I happened to go to cyber because that's all I knew at the time. And uh, it turned out, um, you know, we had uncovered a, um, a, a donor who that just, he connected with that right away. He um, didn't understand it. So I think that that made it even more fascinating to him. Um, I think most of us don't understand what truly goes on in sort of the cyber warfare domain, yeah. um, it, including myself, uh, even, even working here and, and being a, a, a somewhat a part of it. Um, but, you know, that started a process of just his interest in this um, that has resulted in some really significant gifts that have really driven a, a lot of change in the cyber program here. And so, you know, I think it's an interesting story for this conversation because um, I did have a, to your point, I had one story and I went with it and luckily it, it, it worked. Um, you know, had I have said another story, I don't know what the result would have been, but um, it, it's, uh, I think it's also uh, representative of just this, this sort of um, shift to self-soliciting donors. So donors that don't want to be asked for money um, outright. I mean, they, they, they want to have a giving conversation and, and how and what they can support. But in terms of the dollar amount or what, what it looks like. Some of these, you know, pretty um, sophisticated donors that already have all that stuff worked out with their, you know, either their through their donor advice fund or through their financial advising team, you know, they're just coming to you for an idea and then they're going to tell you what they're going to do. Now, obviously there's, there's negotiating within that, but that's, that's really what, what we walked into here is just um, this individual selectively over the course of, eight years just deciding when and what he was going to give. And um, anytime you would try to ask this person for uh, if they would be interested in a conversation about supporting something, 
the answer was um, very politely, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll paraphrase like, well, I'll tell you when I'm ready and willing to give to something else or to increase what I've done. So it's, um, it's, uh, I think we've seen that a lot. Um, it's, it's obviously you, you, you I'm, I'm not implying to sit back and wait for people to come up with their own idea, but I think, um, you know, being, uh, recognizing when donors want to really drive the conversation and be in control is, is just important to, to meeting their needs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I want to I want to clarify on this just for anyone listening. I M- Mike is not suggesting cuz cuz the what a lot of people struggle with when they're getting started is asking for a specific number. You know, they're like j- just getting up the the courage to say I would like you to consider a gift of $100,000 is terrifying. And so so a lot of people just don't do it. This is Mike's talking about a unique situation, not the norm where, uh, and there's a couple of reasons someone might do this, but the type you're talking about where someone, they just, they have such clear ideas on what they're going to do with their giving. And there's, they might even have someone that they've hired to help them make giving, giving decisions and research organizations. Um, but they're just not as much, uh, requiring, the specific ask. Like I know one of my clients, he works with an individual who, you know, has an organization that helps him with all of his giving, very large amounts of money. And they just like to kind of look at stuff and then make a recommendation to him. And it it doesn't help to to say a specific number for a specific project as it would with ninety plus percent of the people you would normally meet with. Yeah. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, th- this is a unique situation. I, I, I think for the most part, uh, I agree with you. It is terrifying to ask for that first six figure gift, but you have to do it. That's just the nature of what we do. Um, I, I, I think that um, the real work, though, comes into leading up to that um, and making sure that that isn't you know coming out of the blue, because that definitely makes it harder if you're just throwing out numbers and we've all done it and We've all probably had terrible experiences of people saying, what are you talking about? But that's part of failure. And that that's how you move forward. Um, you know, I, I can think of a few examples of, of um, you know, asking people for a gift that wasn't even in the ballpark of what they were thinking, but they still made the gift of what they wanted to do. And it's not like you, you, no one's going to be offended to, to all the research that says, hey, you shouldn't be afraid to talk to people about their money because they're more comfortable than you. I 100% agree with that. In this, going back to this scenario, um, an important part of this is kind of what triggered our initial meeting was actually a very sophisticated plan gift that we kind of just kind of just showed up one day. And that kind of lit the light bulbs like, hey, maybe we should go see this person. They just did this um, complicated trust uh, uh, gift vehicle. And clearly they're an advanced philanthropist. This is not, you know, this is not a even as, you know, this isn't a CGA, this is way more advanced than the type of folks who are doing this. So, um, and, and, I, and I also want to say, it's not as if they didn't ask us for any, but they asked how much things cost. So if it was a faculty, something like that, they're asking what, what, what different things um, require in terms of a commitment. It's just um, the, the self-soliciting comes in the fact that they've decided without you asking that they're going to do this. They almost, it's almost beating you to the punch because they already know in general what they want to do. So yeah, for all your, um, for your listeners, I, I definitely am not advocating to sit back and, and wait for uh, people to come up with their own uh, uh, gift amount. Yeah. So any, any other stories uh, that you'd like to share even so in the last episode, I had some of the funniest, funniest stories I've ever heard from uh, Justin DeMoss talking about how his pants caught on fire during one visit. And, uh, a few other things like that. Have you ever had anything just like really funny or embarrassing happen on a visit? Yeah. So uh, this is a great story. Um, and I, don't, I, I, you're setting the bar too high that you've never had. Funny <laughs> stories, so I, don't, I don't know if this is funny or I don't know what it is, but I went down, I was uh, down in the sort of Southeast portion of the country and um, met, a, met somebody for the first time for a, for a beer. We were, you know, just, it was a very casual um, visit, uh, 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 
and we had we had talked a lot. He was just really personable. And so we go and we're just sitting and we're having a beer. And he's like, well, what are you doing the rest of the night? It's like four o'clock or something like that. I was like, I don't know, I'm going back to the Hampton Inn and um gonna get up in the morning. I've got to go to XYZ. And he goes, All right, so you know have plans. Why don't you uh why don't you come to the movies with me and my wife? And I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay, that's that's that sounds okay. He's like, We're going to see it. I'm totally drawn a blank on the name. Uh, one survivor. So military movie, and I'm like, Okay. Yeah can't not do this. He's, yeah. He knows I have nothing to do. Um, <laughs> he, uh, it's, it's a, it's a movie with Academy grads kind of highlighted. In it. Like, <laughs> this, this is something you have to do. So I went with them. And for anybody that's seen the movie, it's, I mean, there's a lot of really tough parts. And so I remember sitting there in the theater <laughs> with my hand up next to my face to shield myself from showing him that I'm like in tears at portions of this movie. <laughs> And he's there with his wife and his wife had bought a friend. And it was, it was just, it was just one of these weird things you got to do. And uh, <laughs> I will still never forget anytime that movie comes on. Um, the fact that I was in a movie theater, just crying my eyes out at, at uh, really what is an inspirational movie. But um, yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I, I, uh, another one I was, uh, you know, Let's see here. Um, I was up in the Northeast and uh, was out to dinner with a, with a family and, and uh, was with a, a colleague. And they're like, well, where are you staying? That's another Hampton Inn story. Um, and I was like, well, we're staying at the Hampton Inn up here. And it's like, no, 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 you're not staying at the Hampton Inn. And they're like, you're staying at our, at our, at our, at our guest house. I'm like, no, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. And by the 10th offer, I, I turned to, um, my colleague, I'm with him. Like, we we have to stay at his guest house. He's he's going to be offended if we choose the Hampton Inn over <laughs> um, over their guest house overlooking the beach. And so we ended up doing it. But I had already checked all my stuff into the hotel. We went right from the place we were having dinner to the guest house, and it was a fun visit. But I'm not going to lie, there was some late night drinks happening and and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it 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 just turned into one of these like kind of crazy experiences where I'm like borrowing pajamas and stuff like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you always have to be very wary of crossing that kind of personal, personal boundary. Um, but it was, uh, one that I will never forget just in terms of like, you got to go with the flow. You got to, um, yeah, yeah. got to listen to the, to the donor. And, and in this case it was, it was fun. So I, I, am not a, not ashamed of that either. Man, any any other stories come to mind? Whether they're funny or just like a favorite kind of visit or something? No, I, I nothing. Uh, you know, I I think it. The fun stories are definitely. Um, um, I'm a, I'm grateful for them because this is it's a great community that that we're a part of here. You know, we have um, you know going back to the beginning of the the start of this, it talked about the the sort of unique structure of of being a institution that supports a, a, a Naval Academy, which is funded by the federal government. There's all these rules with, that goes with that. And, you know, faculty leadership can't, can't solicit gifts. They're, you know, in the military or, or on the federal payroll. And so we, we get a lot of ownership. Oh, of yeah. So we get a lot of ownership of relationships. And so we are really seeing a lot of things through to the end. And so um, what's great about working at the Naval Academy um you know, we have this big brand, but we are running like a small shop. And so the big donors, we, um, we really work closely with them all the way to the end. So we get some great opportunities to, to do fun things. Um, you know, I'm not going to, gonna you know, whether it's, you know, there, there's, there's lots of tough meetings out there in, in offices or, um, on the phone. Now, I, I, I think of, uh, one of the guys, uh, on my team that was on the phone with somebody the other day and the 20 minute call took like a full day because he kept having to hang up and, <laughs> and call him right back because the client was calling him, you know, we're always at the expense of, of what people's real day job is. We're always the sort of second thought. And uh, so for every story like that, um, you know, there's probably 10 of those versus one that's, that's really fun. And, and I, I do feel fortunate that we get to do some pretty interesting things um, with our donor base, just due to the weird uh, unique relationship between us and the Naval Academy. Yeah, so so you're saying if I heard that correct, you're saying if someone is in the military, they mm-hmm. cannot ask someone for a gift for the Naval Academy. 
Absolutely. Um, they are not permitted to be in the room when a direct solicitation occurs. So it, they can educate a, a donor. They can thank a donor. Um, mm-hmm. They can casually, you know, talk to a donor, but that they cannot say, you know, Kevin, would you make a gift of a million dollars to support this need at the Naval Academy? They can't say those words. And so what's, that, the, what, what's the reasoning behind that? Uh, conflict of interest in, in the, in the military, um, and, and through the federal government, it's a federal statute that that's out there, which just prohibits any federal employee from soliciting private support for their own institution. There, there's some exceptions when you look at like the Smithsonian and things like that. Those are, there's, there's things, but definitely when you look at Naval Academy faculty and staff that are either civilian or military, um, they are, you know, we, they interact with donors all the time, but they're just not permitted from making that formal solicitation. Interesting. Which is great. I mean, in our world, it's great. We get experience that you just you just don't get at, yeah. at a peer institution because you're normally handing something off to a dean or the college president or, um, you know, something like that. That's where I think we have this really um, exciting chance for um, our development team to be involved in gift conversations that you're probably not involved in in other institutions unless you've got, like I said, a vice president or dean uh, job title. Yeah, for sure. Man, that's crazy. That's something I never would have would have thought of, but that's that's unique for sure. So have you felt like uh yeah, I mean this is just uh possibly a, a last random question, but have you ever felt disadvantaged by not having gone to the Naval Academy as a student? Um I th- I think not any more so than you would from any other school, uh, maybe a little bit, you know, there's definitely a culture, um, cultural thing here that you don't feel a part of, but, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, we've got a pretty good track record with, um, tenure, you know, I I think I'm a good example of that. Once you get ingrained in the culture, you're really, really welcomed. Um, and, and, you know, I think back we were talking about kids before we started, um, I remember going to a football game here, after our first, our son was born. So, and I used to live, our house was right near the stadium. And we were walking up to the game and, and I had, you know, sent out a message like, Hey, I'm a new dad, blah, 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 blah. And I remember walking home from the game with like six baby presents in my arms, like walking around the stadium because alumni, current parents, they, they had just, you know, they're so welcoming that they brought baby gifts to a football game gave them to me at a football game and then I had to carry them around at the football game, but they, <laughs> that's the point. Um, but I, I love that story because it just is so for me um, telling of the type of community this is. So, uh, you know, I, I go, going back to sort of our onboarding process, we, we really focus on being able to talk through that from the beginning, because I think because we're relatively new to the world of, fundraising a lot of the alumni and donors in the community are don't really understand us they they would expect you to be a a grad like you know we get those questions well so are you a volunteer like what is it like no we're a pretty professional um fundraising entity we've got you know 75 people that work in in both our alumni association and foundation and and talking all those through through those things can really kind of take away any disadvantage or perceived disadvantage that there might be at the onset. So um, that's one of the reasons that we really focus on that. Uh, going back to the first part of our, our chat here of mm-hmm. how you get through a first meeting. Um, yeah. So, no, yeah. definitely don't feel it anymore. Yeah. Well, any uh, final words of wisdom or things you'd like to, to highlight? Go visit people. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, um, one word of wisdom, just because we're talking about this whole idea of, of seeing people is about four years ago, we actually changed our, um, terminology to visit from visit to meeting. Um, mm. and I kn- know that might ruin your whole branding. Um, uh, I'm now <laughs> silencing you, <laughs> but we, we, we were going through a transition with our, our conversion with our database and we had this opportunity to really, and I credit our director of plan giving that, that, uh, had this idea to say, you know, visit implies something casual, something, um, informal, something social. I'm going to go visit my, um, uh, you know, grandmother. I'm going to go visit my, my dear friend from college. I'm going to go visit my kids. 
meeting implies an agenda and something that needs to needs to take place. And and I'm not saying that there aren't visit type uh, uh, encounters, for lack of a better term, that we have with with our with our donors and prospects. But um, I just throw that out in terms of everything that we've talked about. Is even if you don't, an institution doesn't make an official change. I'm not suggesting that, but the semantics and the mindset of going into something that's a meeting as opposed to a visit can really, it really changed some of the, the ways that I would approach. Like, am I seeing this person because I need to see them? Or am I seeing this person because it checks a metric box and, and there's nothing wrong with, with, with that, but I, I just offer that as uh, something for debate when, with people as they think about how they go out and see people just approach it as a meeting um, and, and be prepared and, and you'll um, do great things. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, yeah, I, I can see it both ways. I think in, so to me, visit to me primarily implies relationship, um, more than anything else. Um, but I can see it both ways. I think the, at at the end of the day, the, I think two things are important and whatever we want to call it to get to these ideas we can certainly debate upon, but I think the, the idea of one, we want like true relationships with people yep. where there's like, you know, mutual caring, but then also like you were saying, like we need to get something done at the end of the day. Like ultimately this is, this is towards some purpose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if we're just hanging out at the beach house, uh, <laughs> sharing pajamas, Hey, that's a good story. You know, <laughs> you know no, there's, absolutely. There's, there's a. You have to. Those, those types of visits are, are critical to building, you know, good relationships. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm totally, uh, totally in agreement on that. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. That's that's interesting. That's the first. Uh, y'all are the first place I've heard uh, leading the way with meeting as the the preferred term. But uh, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, whatever you want to call it go out and see people and uh, and that is the most important thing so mike it was great having you on the show and uh look forward to talking to you soon thanks kevin great to be here that was mike hoffman with the u.s naval academy foundation guys if you enjoyed this episode please leave a rating and review and apple podcasts really helps tremendously in getting the show to more people and new listeners also if you found this episode valuable please uh, share it with other development professionals, either personally or on LinkedIn uh, and connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick there on LinkedIn. I post stuff pretty much every day, uh, actionable content that'll help you schedule more visits and close more gifts. You can also uh, check out my website, onevisitaway.com. I've got a free guide that you can download there with three tips on how to schedule more visits and close more gifts. Guys, as always, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. That's the most important thing, so go out and do it. Because after all, you're just one visit away from closing a significant gift to advance a cybersecurity program.